0: Welcome to Deep Dives, my name is Rid and this is where we go deep with the best designers so that you can learn from their journey and apply it to your own career. Today's episode is a special one because I'm talking with three incredible designers all about specific strategies that you can use to level up as an IC. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to our guest to let them introduce themselves.
1: Hi, um, I'm Steph, and I'm currently a product design leader at Snap. I manage a new team, which is across monetization, but I've worked a lot on AR and all kinds of fun things there. Prior to this, I was a designer at Airbnb, as well as started the design team at Cruise, a self-driving car company in San Francisco. And then before that, I actually worked at Meta, formerly Facebook, on the AR VR team with these two folks here. So this is not like a panel of total strangers. We actually all know each other quite well, which is really cool for me.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Mahin, a product design lead on Generative AI at Meta. I've been at Meta for a long time, seven years, mainly been focused on emerging tech experiences. So building a lot of zero to one, finding product market fit for things that people are just kind of like figuring out for the first time. So my work has revolved a lot around virtual reality, augmented reality. And then for the past several years, I've been working on AI.
3: Hello, I'm Brian, one of the co-founders of Campsite, which is a, a startup. We're fairly new and small, helping design teams share work in progress. Before Campsite, I was at GitHub for a few years and helped launch the mobile team there. Before GitHub, I started another startup called Spectrum, which was a tool that helps large public online communities have a place to talk and connect. And before that, I was at Meta, formerly known as Facebook, and I worked on the payments team at Facebook.
0: Amazing, well, I appreciate kind of the diversity of experiences and backgrounds because it was really like quite clear to me when I'm doing the research that you know, one of the things that stands out is you know all three of you have been surrounded by really elite design talent, even kind of early in your career, and so, I'd like to start broad. What traits do you think differentiate the top ICs that you've worked alongside in your career?
2: It's actually something I've been thinking about in my current team. It's a very strong senior IC team on the Generative AI team and it's interesting because when you have a roster of senior, very talented designers, they're all doing very similar things. And one of the most common things is everyone's incredibly proactive. I think what differentiates seniority is that you're able to identify all the problems that exist in a team and just kind of like pick the one that, that is important to the company to the the product that you're building that would really make a big impact on the user, all of it combined, that makes for a really good recipe of something you can convince leadership on and get out the door. That requires proactiveness. Often these problems are not handed to designers. And so that's the number one skill, I believe. Building onto that a little bit, like what are some of
1: the things folks are proactive about? One thing I talk about a lot with team members is becoming a conduit for ideas. So becoming someone who people really want to give feedback to and want to tell their best ideas to in the company. And so when you become that kind of person, it means that you are really receptive to critique and feedback. You're someone who's building on ideas really often. And that just means you end up becoming the smartest person because ideas are going through you. I think the flip side of that is also being the best prioritizer. (laughs) So you can be proactive and you can hear all the ideas, but you're not going to be particularly effective if you don't have this radar sense for hearing an idea and thinking, how does this stack up against every single other thing we're doing? How does this connect to everything else in the company? So being kind of a a prioritizer machine and systems thinker, I think is really, really critical.
0: Steph, can you double click on that a little bit? Like, What are some of the ways that you can position yourself as someone who other designers do want to share your ideas with?
1: So, actually, I want to be upfront and say that I was actually really bad at this um, early in my career to the point where I had a manager pull me to the side and say, Hey, every time you're in design critique, I notice that when people give you feedback, you are kind of arguing with them or you're telling them why you did something instead of just hearing the feedback graciously and accepting it and then kind of taking what actually stands out and doing something with it. And so I think that's one really huge thing just to illustrate with my own example was just like you want to be someone who is receptive to feedback, which means when you're in scenarios like critique, listen, listen, listen. Like I know the phrase feedback is a gift almost doesn't mean anything to people anymore, but I think it truly is just like Just remember that when people are giving you feedback, it's because they are trying to help, they're trying to do something, and actually you don't have to do anything with it. So if you listen to it, you kind of riff on it and build on it. That's one really, I think, critical behavior. Another one I think is just riffing with people a lot. And so I think when people throw you ideas or they share their own work with you, I think being kind and riffing on what they're doing and uh, just, just kind of you know, pumping them up, but not in a, a fake way, but just in a like, hey, you said this. That that kind of inspired me. I thought of I thought of this other set of things. So I think being someone who people think of as like, oh, Steph, I feel really safe giving Steph, you know, critical feedback because she's always so warm to it. And then I think the flip side is like, I really like getting feedback from Steph or whoever you, because this person always makes me feel inspired or feel more energized about what's going on. So I think those are like two really, really specific behaviors. I mean, there's tons of other ones. Like I think people do tend to like to give ideas and feedback to those who are um, confident and smart and, and speaking up in different forums and presenting really cool ideas in like, casual ways. So I think I see a lot of very senior talent um, and and ICs just pitching cool ideas all the time and just having a really strong feedback and inclination towards sharing and just being like, this is silly, but like, look at this thing. And so I think that's another thing too, is just sharing really often and um, sharing playfully and sharing into the future. Things that aren't so consequential, I think can really open up those channels to like have fun with someone.
0: Brian, what about you? Do you have anything to add?
3: Yeah, I love all that. I was, I was thinking about this. I was like, okay, what makes a good designer? It's like someone who makes good designs, like designs things well. And unfortunately, I don't know that there's like a shortcut to becoming good at designing, but the way to get better is to just have lots and lots of reps. And so then you got to ask yourself, how do I get more reps? And The way that I see people grow really fast is when they are comfortable operating outside of their job title. I think my favorite collaborators are people who don't feel constrained by the designer job title. They will pick up whatever tools or techniques or skills they need to pick up to solve some problem. I think if you have that attitude where you kind of ignore the boundaries of your job title... It also leads to doing other things like probably leaning more towards asking for forgiveness and not permission. I think that's like a biasing towards action, being proactive, not waiting around to be told what to do. Like these are things that just help you get more reps, more reps. It gives you exposure to more types of problems, more types of solutions to those problems. And then lo and behold, a decade later, you're like a good designer.
0: Mihin, you talked about this idea of being proactive, and I think that's awesome. But it also kind of requires you to have this pulse of where the company is heading, what the product vision is. Can you talk a little bit about how you know maybe this like mid-career designer can move up that value chain of ideas where they are meaningfully contributing to this like higher-level strategy and and not just waiting to be assigned the next problem to solve.
2: A lot of it is just listening for a while. I don't think you have to be very senior to get like a good product sense. You could be at any level and talk to, if you have access to talking to like different people in the company that have an understanding of the strategy, just listening to what's on their mind. This is a strategy that like, anytime I join a new company or a new team or a new project, you need to do a listening tour and you just listen for like the first two weeks or three weeks or the one month. And magically, you'll start to notice a lot of themes and those themes will be very loud. And then it's up to you which theme you want to pick on and like start riffing on. Sometimes when I mentor people, people are like, I don't have any work to do. My manager isn't giving me anything or like the team is in this like weird state where we're planning, but there's nothing going on. And I don't know if I believe that's true. There's always something to do. It's more just like Steph said, like how good are you at identifying that? And then there's strategies to identify. So the listening tour is one strategy. Another is if you're more of a visionary designer, like having a stake in the ground on what you think the product can be, right? And so if you have an opinion, maybe the micro-interactions you really want them to be more magical, like then go do that. Right. And like show them to the right people to figure out how it can go in. Or if you're a visionary in terms of North stars, that stuff is incredibly helpful for teams as well, but there's usually no time to do them. So there's just a lot of different ways to approach it. But I would say the listening tour is the number one way I would approach it myself.
1: I have something to build on that one. Like how I do a listening tour whenever I join a place is kind of Meet a person who your manager tells you is important and then ask them for like, who's moving the company that I should be talking to. And so I think like something we were all really fortunate at when we were working together at Facebook was like, you could really tell who were some of the really, really top designers because they posted on a tool like campsite. So small plug for campsite, but where you could see work all the time. And what you would notice is you could see who was like getting the comments and like what the big discussions, that kind of thing. So having that visibility was key, but I think just finding out who are those really the people who are moving the company and spending a lot of time with them, or at least like some time with them. That's, that's polite, of course. And so I think that's, that's huge. And and to Maheen's other point, just being someone who is sharing your ideas and putting them out there, people might say this is unimportant, but at least you start to learn that too. So I think just being someone who is like, Hey, what if we did this? What if we did that? And then people will say no, because actually our priority this quarter is, xyz or or we're trying to grow the company in this way you start to like learn by firing and getting some feedback i think those are two ways to kind of listen by prodding and and putting things out there
2: one of the most interesting things to do in a listening tour is if you're talking to a lot of people right it's kind of what steph hinted on which is identifying who is actually responsible for driving the change like those are the people you want to get closer to over the period of time and come back to, um, because you want them to be your allies and like landing a product decision or an idea. Um, It's usually hard to identify when you're new in a team, but as you listen and you hear stories of how people are operating and who they're operating with, the more obvious it becomes. I think that's a pretty... Important skill for senior ICs, I would say, and especially in larger companies.
0: I've definitely been in a situation where I've had this nugget of an idea that I was really excited about. Maybe I've done my listening tour. I kind of have an understanding of the talent landscape and I put it out there and it just falls flat and there's no momentum. And deep down, I know like it was a good idea. I just didn't go about actually sharing it and building excitement in the right way. Have you experienced? experience things similar, or maybe you, you can even talk about you know, the different pitfalls to look out for when you're trying to get buy-in for this idea that you're really excited about.
3: I have one one thing on that. I feel like the listening tour is like the correct advice, but kind of r- running with what you just talked about, right? I remember when I joined GitHub, I had a weird like period of downtime where I wasn't actually on a project. And I went and just designed, like, redesigned GitHub. I did an unsolicited redesign of GitHub. And it was really, really bad. It got no momentum, and people saw it, and they were like, cool, like, welcome to the team, new guy. Like, I bet you can solve all of our problems. It was like a very arrogant thing. But what was interesting was a year and a half later, two years later, two and a half years later, people remembered it. They're like, oh, Brian is the one that had all these dopey ideas for, like, Here's what the profile could look like. Here's what the home view could look like. And we went back and revisited those files. And again, they were bad, but there was these little nuggets of like, oh yeah, that one thing was actually kind of interesting. That process, like being at GitHub for a few years and seeing that, that whole loop complete, it reinforced that you just got to be patient with this stuff. That's maybe a frustrating answer is that it takes time for some of, these things to develop and, or, or for the time to be right, for those ideas to be interesting. But another very specific tactical thing that I found to be useful is, instead of framing a thing super seriously, like, if we do this, it's gonna take the company into a new direction, we're gonna TEDx. I find it's way more effective to be like, hey, I had this really dopey idea. Like, wouldn't it be crazy if we did this? And you show your thing. I think it's a disarming way of framing a bigger idea or a novel idea or an unsolicited redesign where people are like, okay, I don't need to take this super seriously. So then they actually start looking for something that they can take seriously versus something being presented like really formally. And it's like, okay, I'm going to look for all the holes in this right away. So yeah, that's maybe a more tactical thing that I picked up at GitHub. Yeah,
1: I would would build on that as well. Yeah, couching it in like, this is just something I was playing with. I think if you're submitting these types of things often, obviously you don't want to do it forever. Like once you get a comfort with the company and understanding what's going on, you'll learn like actually really incisive, good ways to pitch really, really critical things. And so over time, it's not like you're just always firing off designs, but I do think in the beginning, it's not a bad idea to be firing off ideas. And I think back to kind of becoming a conduit for ideas. I think something that's really powerful is when you tell ideas to other people. So so sometimes if I have a, a big idea or a little idea, I'll just go around and start telling people and kind of getting their first blush actions on or reactions to it. And I think the earlier you are and the less you know, I think also telling people like, hey, I had this idea. And I think the instinct maybe is coming from somewhere, but how far is this from what we're actually doing? Because when you're submitting redesigns, it's not because you're like, this is it. Like, I know, here it is please critique it on that level. What you're more saying is like, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Help me bridge the gap in my assumptions on this as to like what's actually happening. And I think you'll learn a lot more sourcing that type of feedback. So like, hey, this is kind of what I thought Help me bridge this. But I think even before that, if you start to kind of make, find those key players, like what I call like the shadow power in the company and designers who are around or other product folks or whoever, just telling them like, Hey, I just had this thought today. What do you think? And just asking on these small forums and building up this repertoire, like, Hey, I'm a person who's always thinking about this stuff. I'm super curious, making other people feel like you want their feedback by proactively seeking it. You're going to build all these great little connections and vectors where they're going to feel comfortable giving you feedback and you're going to feel really comfortable getting it. So I think sourcing our ideas early and then also just trying to ask more specifically like what's the gap in what I have here from something that is actually good and like where where could I take this
2: One word that came to mind as I was hearing that is I do this it's called planting seeds you're planting a bunch of seeds everywhere and then they come back like two years later and you're like I was involved and everyone's like no I came up with it and you're like no but <laughs> I said it two years ago it's like an interesting art. To see that over time, how a, an idea you planted a while back and like you see it kind of come to fruition eventually is like it's actually a very nice feeling when it comes to convincing people or even just like planting an idea or like getting buy in. Right? I think there's no one way of doing it, it just depends on your skill set and the type of designer you are. I like to tell people, like. Everyone is an amazing communicator. You just have to identify your strengths. So maybe you're a prototyper and your way of communicating is making some really rad, quick prototypes that really inspire people. Maybe you're really great at presenting and sure, like elaborate presentations are a bit intense for people. But if you're really good at public speaking and convincing people through a deck, then like do that. Or maybe you're a really great writer, like a lot of designers are really strong at writing, maybe don't want to give presentations, then writing a great document or or sharing those things in other ways um, is, is a really great way of convincing people. So for me, the number one thing is when I'm mentoring people or talking to people is helping them identify what are their communication strengths and how can they leverage that to convince people regarding whatever journey they're on.
0: Hey, it's Ridd. Really quickly, I wanted to let you know that this conversation is hosted by Maven, the largest platform for cohort-based courses. So if you're looking for that next way to invest in your career, head to maven.com where there are a ton of incredible design courses. All right, now back to the discussion. I think now's a pretty good time to take a quick pause and we're kind of keeping an eye on the Q&A here. And I'm looking for different themes that we can pull out and talk about. And I'm going to toss one of these questions to you. Philippe is talking about the differences in more mature design ecosystems versus small startup seed funded companies. And you kind of have this fun juxtaposition between you know, working at GitHub and now you're working on this small scrappy team at Campsite. Can you talk a little bit about you know, how to grow as a product designer in those two environments and the different skills that are rewarded in big companies versus, you know, how to best make an impact at a a small seed funded startup?
3: I actually think in both cases, it's just like not being constrained by your job title. So I I have worked at big companies, but I much prefer the smaller startup world. And when I think about assembling a team at a startup, I, I want a band of pirates who don't care what they were hired for, they just want the company to succeed. I would almost like not specifically open a role for a designer. I I don't know. It it depends. It depends. It depends. For example, this is a slight tangent, but like we have an engineer on on the team yesterday he shipped a feature and then after he shipped it, he went and like dug through all the customer support requests for that feature compiled a list of people who had asked for this thing. And then he went and emailed all of them. He wrote the email, emailed them, and then followed up with the team. He's like, hey, I solved the problem and followed up with everybody that I solved the problem. Like, You don't have to do that as an engineer. That's not in the job description. Normally, that would fall to like, man, we need a customer support person to do this, or we need a PM to do this. But it's just this attitude. It's this attitude of, I just want to solve the problem because... I care about the customer. I care about this organization succeeding. And so I think that's true at startups. Funny enough, it's actually true at big companies. Like the same attitude matters. I think at big companies, there's just like more layers in the process, but the same attitude of like, I want to make this thing better and more successful is very effective. I think people in big companies, I mean, I'm certainly guilty of this is like, being almost a little bit performative about trying to have a ton of impact. Like I'm going to create the deck for how this thing is going to change the world versus just going and building the V1. And the way to build the V1 in those kind of environments, the way that I found was effective was basically convincing the people around you that you were on a secret mission. I think this is effective if you're like trying to start something from scratch, but also if you're in an environment where there's no investment in craft, like you're really sad that your thing isn't animated and you wish you had any time to animate it or you wish this feature just existed from scratch, like go build a little secret team with an engineer and say, Hey, don't tell anybody, but we're going to go and solve this thing like an hour a day and like chip away at it. And I feel like there's a cool camaraderie that comes out of that. It's like us against the world, us against the organization. I, I'll just harp on this all day. Like people who, who think outside their job title are really fun to work with and are going to grow very quickly in any kind of environment.
0: Steph, do you have anything to add on this just based off of your experience across you know, very different team sizes and even being like the solo designer for a while at Cruise?
1: Big and small. Yeah, all over the place. I totally agree with what Brian said. I think it does not matter. I don't have a different answer for either. I think it's just... You are a truth-seeking person who wants to understand what is the real problem. The bigger the company is, the more showmanship gets rewarded. I'm a big fan of substance, and I think that if if you have substance and you're trying to truth seek and find the right problem, that is stylish to me. <laughs> and I actually care a lot less about you know how fancy your decks are and how are you're presenting and all that kind of thing. I care about that a lot less than are you just communicating the right idea and something. I really appreciate about that is at Snap, it's definitely rewarded all the way down. And I think at startups it should be as well. It sounds like Brian does that in his organization, but you know, we have an example all the time where ranking is is a big problem for us and every company. And so ranking content that is. And so one of the designers went in and just started like writing out and trying to explain how ranking worked. And I did the same thing for another ranking surface. And we, you know, it wasn't that great. Like it wasn't like we fick- cracked the problem, but it was just, you know, we got us, you know, standing ovation, slow clap from Evan. Spiegel, our CEO in the meeting, because it was just like, we actually went in and tried to engage with the real problem and actually talk to users. And so I think like, if you focus more on kind of being, I don't want to say the smartest person in the room, but more like the smartest person about the problems that actually affect people you're serving and the smartest about the business problems, and then actually like design things and respond to that, that's actually going to elevate you so much more. So I would say, even if you're more junior and unsure in your design skills, I think the better ideas and the better solutions and the better responses to those core problems, you're going to figure out the design part. I promise it's like, even though there's a million courses and stuff for it, that's actually not the hardest part. The hardest, most talented, rare people are the ones, at least on product design side, are the ones who solve the right thing and become brilliant at that space and what that means to your company.
0: Amazing. Well, we're going to make some time at the end here for more Q&A. I do want to transition a little bit and talk more concretely about different strategies for sharing your work and thriving in a crit culture. Because like as we alluded to earlier, we kind of accidentally stumbled into this scenario where all three of you have these roots back in kind of early days Facebook and I've heard you talk about how formative those years are and you know how much you grew as a result of that crit culture. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that for people who maybe don't have that kind of experience earlier in their career. What are some of the lessons that you learned over the years that have shaped the way that you think about how designers should share and get feedback on their work? I think
3: there's this, beautiful feedback loop where you share stuff and get feedback on it and you like correct the obvious mistakes and then you share the next thing and that and you just get better and better. I think the trap is that people get so scared or anxious or uncertain that they don't get feedback early enough or they don't get feedback from a broad enough set of people. They end up asking one person or put it in a private channel And all that's doing is sort of slowing down your engine of growth, right? Like if you want to get better, you need to design lots of things. And the best way to design lots of things is to just get lots of feedback and iterate quickly. So yeah, there's this early stage paralysis. And I had this as well when I first joined Facebook, where I was so worried about like impressing my my peers and my coworkers. And I was also just so naive. I remember when I first joined, I was really scared that I was going to like mess up Facebook like I would design something and it would bring down the business which is obviously silly to to say now but back then that's how I felt and what that meant was I wanted my designs to be perfect before I showed it to anybody and so I would just like stare at my screen and get lost in the pixels finally my manager stepped in he's like this isn't going to work like you got to actually ship stuff and like battle test your ideas and that that started my sort of feedback flywheel. I meet with a lot of teams these days where there are designers who are incredibly anxious about sharing work in progress for very legitimate reasons. I I don't mean to say like everyone should just push through and like it's all going to be fine. Like there are bad cultures. There are people who are bad at giving feedback. There's people who can derail product conversations and design conversations. But I really like what Steph said earlier. I think there's an art in being able to like hear bad feedback and say, okay, interesting. Yeah, like I'll Keep that in mind, like process it, acknowledge it, but you don't have to like defend yourself against every little nit or pick, especially if it's not the kind of feedback that you're looking for. It's so cliche to say, you know, you should be sharing work early and often, but I think if you're not a little bit uncomfortable to share your thing, you've probably been staring at it too long. I've gotten to the point where I'm comfortable sharing stuff that's really not good but it's helpful because it gets all of the like big wrinkles out much faster in the process. Then we can like focus on the, the real meat of the problem.
1: So as Mahim was saying earlier, you kind of figure out what communication styles work best. And I think also I would really narrow that down also to when you're sharing what styles work best for you. Like sometimes at Facebook, we had these crits that were like, you know, bravado and like just lots of people sling at a bunch of amazing designs back and forth. And that works really well for some people. And you'd almost like raise your hand and shout and jump in to, to express the feedback, right? That doesn't work for a lot of people though. And so we experimented with things like, hey, let's write things down on, on notes. Or I know GitHub had a notoriously like really async written feedback type culture, things like that, that we've tried at different places. So I think finding out your style, I wanted to share my style, which I actually don't think comes up very often, but did kind of come up in the comments a little bit. One thing I really like doing is pair designing. And so trying to find someone who I trust to get their feedback and kind of jam on the design a little bit together. So I think something that can really help younger folks is like grab 45 minutes with someone you think highly of and get their feedback and kind of just like, I don't know what this is. Can you help me like carve it out? And then when you share it, it starts to feel like you always have an ally in sharing it. Who's like looked at it and really gone through it and kind of been the champion on the work. And also maybe it's better because that person took a look and also you're developing yourself as kind of that conduit because you're bringing those people in and they're seeing you as someone who is stronger at this. So anyway, I'm I'm a huge fan of pair design and I've just seen how much that can give people strength to just be like, hey, Brian already saw my design and he's sitting in this room. And so when people give me feedback now, I know Brian can kind of chime in if I need him. So anyway, I just want to suggest pair design is a really tactical thing you can use.
2: I'll add to that. I think a good manager can also make this very easy. One of the things managers can do is make the crit culture a lot more easier where I noticed in one of my teams, people weren't bringing things to crit. And because... They felt this fear of like the work needs to be perfect. I think there's this culture at companies like I would say Instagram or like very high craft companies where it's like the deck needs to be perfect. And if the font isn't accurate, then like what are you even designing? But it's like, is the deck shipping to people? No, it's not. Like the the product is or the UI is. And so that's a pretty big pet peeve of mine when people give feedback on like those outside of the UI things that don't really matter. So setting expectations around that in a team identifying like what are the problems that people are running into when coming to CRIT. The other is that like if a manager is close to the work, like encouraging people to like, hey, like I know no one's sharing at CRIT today, but hey, Steph, what do you think about like sharing that work that you were exploring as like an FYI, creating a room for just like casual sharing where maybe no feedback is needed. Maybe it's just like, hey, FYI, I'm working on this. Like, let me walk you guys through it and helping people ease into the culture of sharing. So a lot of that I think needs to be built into a team as opposed to sometimes just expecting designers to know what to do especially if they're like new to a team or more junior or maybe the culture wasn't very receptive or warm to begin with and then on a on the note of like someone who's like bringing things to crit I think framing is incredibly important oftentimes if people get feedback that's like too intense or 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 not something they were looking for a lot of it usually comes down to it wasn't framed properly they might have the right intention they might have good designs but they maybe presented too many things at once or maybe they didn't have a recommendation Um, so it also comes down to communication like have you figured out the art of communicating being intentional asking for what you want feedback on Not sharing 10 things, but sharing the three things that you're really confused upon, maybe breaking it down over a couple of sessions as opposed to doing it all in one session. Something that has really helped me
1: internalize feedback that feels harsh or negative, sometimes like you present a design and you haven't framed it all the way and it's early. So nobody really understands it and it's complicated. And one thing I've found is when I hear critique, that's like people just asking a million questions, like, what is this thing? Or why don't you do it this way? And you're like, well, that thing's not important or no, we're shipping it next week. And I I found that like, instead of trying to, you know, block and tackle those internalizing it as my need for these questions like the questions that are coming to me is actually an example of all the areas where i can improve the communication for everyone else and so i think hearing questions that feel maybe annoying like why doesn't my team get what's going on or they're focusing on the wrong thing it's not like they're not focusing on the wrong thing i have not choose chosen to communicate the right things and now i have that and so the next time i share this in any forum i'm going to bridge that conversation much better
0: So good. (laughs) I want to push even for a little bit more specificity on this topic before bouncing back to the Q and a, because, you know, let's say hypothetically, you have a slot at crit tomorrow. You have 15 minutes. It's a remote culture. You're going to hit share your screen and it is up to you to get the most out of this conversation and get what you need. How do you think about what your ultimate deliverable will be. Like you, Maheen, you mentioned the deck a little bit, but like, what actually are we sharing? Are there specific tactics that you might use to effectively frame what you're sharing visually or make sure that you're presenting the right level of context or ending with that ask or anything like that?
2: Um, Yeah, 15 minutes, I have to present tomorrow. A deck is not gonna do. I probably just need an organized Figma with like, the the framing up front. This is the problem I'm trying to solve. These are the three problems. This is my recommended approach. Everything else is below. Maybe I need to present and ask for async feedback um, because those 15 minutes is too short. There's no way people can give me feedback. It's just going to go. Let's, let's increase
0: it then. Let's increase it. Let's say you have 30 <laughs> minutes. Uh,
2: if I have 30 minutes, then yeah, then I would like take 10, 15 minutes to present. I would have that framing very clear. Um, often, I think one of the biggest things I've seen that mid to junior designers don't do is have a very clear recommendation you should have a gut sense about what works and even if you don't just pick one pick one to be controversial and maybe people will freak out but that's kind of what you want you want people to like freak out and give you like the most intense feedback and crit so that you know which direction to go in and not so That's the approach I take. I always have a recommendation. I go over the main recommendation. I listen to the feedback. And then maybe during the feedback, things will pop up and I'll be like, actually, I have explored this. Let's go to that side of the Figma and like, let me show you what I explored, what did work, what didn't work. And then people just start sharing more ideas off of that. So I've seen that works pretty well for when I do crit.
0: I'm going to present another hypothetical. You've just shared your work. You're proud of it. And There is some kind of, you know, potentially more powerful, maybe even executive level stakeholder in the room. And they given that piece of feedback that just derails and you know that, you know, that, you know, that, you know, that that's not the direction that you should go. And you have all the reasons why. What do you do in that scenario?
1: I'm like itching for it because I've now been at um, two companies in a row that are very founder led um so the last company i was at was airbnb um and there's always a brian review <laughs> uh and actually before that cruise too there was always a, a kyle review and now there's a an evan review all the time and so i'm i'm a, extremely accustomed to uh this like present to the ceo and under five minutes get feedback or present a deck and a week later get comments that make you know that you really disagree with um you know i think the first thing is to look for the message in their feedback. So if they just say no, obviously there's not a lot of information there, but if they say no because I'm worried about this other thing, so I think like trying to get what is why are you saying no? Why are you resistive and then trying to understand what the real problem is. So right now um or like recently I was encountering something where um with a, a leader in our company they were saying no and then when i actually figured out the reason it wasn't a reaction to the design it was like a reaction to a misunderstanding about a bigger concept within the company and so i was like oh no matter how many times we present this we are not going to get an approval on this so that is one one big way is just understand like where is the no coming from and how can you resolve that instead um Sometimes you, you have to disagree and commit. So there's, there's that too. Sometimes it's just being like, thanks, I'm going to be a good soldier. And what that means is like, I'm going to go take this reliably. So, you know, you can trust me, um, to go execute on this, but I disagree with it and that's okay. And I think building that muscle is good too, but also maybe they are privy to things that you cannot see. And there's a good reason, but I would f- try and find out what is that reason. Um, I think the last one is like something I <laughs> do pretty often is if there's something I'm still convinced of over time, I find new cycles to bring it back, new ways to frame it, um, or even ways where I get like a, like right now I have this funny thing where I've, I've taken over this monetization team and there's a lot of things they're working on that, um, have not, that wouldn't get approved in an ad sense maybe, but they would get approved in like a, um, organic fun video feature or something. And so I find like, how can I get it approved on the other track of work sort of, and like, how do I get the logic, um, aligned with there and then kind of bring it back and be like, Hey, remember this thing, the fun way, um, here's the other, like, here's the the money way. And so, um, that's, that's like a huge part of my life right now. But I think that, um, namely I would just go find what, why is this person resisting? Where does that problem get solved? Um, should I be the one solving it? Because, maybe i'm just not privy to something maybe everyone around me is like hey disagree and commit we're going to do it and try it and then later you've bought some credibility to bring back other ideas and then lastly maybe there are new times and ways and seasons to bring back ideas so you know a joke at a big company like a facebook is or even startups is like hey years ago Uh, remember that idea from years ago, we're finally shipping, whatever it is, you know, and so there's a lot of ideas that cycle back until they exist. And there's kind of like huge joy and pride. So anyway, people might just reject them, or they might not be important for a long time. And that's okay, too. And you get small joy when you see, uh, finally, someone's working on XYZ, abandoned feature.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can think of specific things that have showed up in like, three offsites in a row where you have prototypes and it's like, finally, there's real code. There's real code behind it. I want to end with one last question. And ideally you can hear from all three of you. And really the goal is just to make this as practical as possible. And so I want to end with a little challenge, which is when you reflect on your own journey as a designer, what is a skill that you wish that you would have learned or refined earlier in your career?
2: not doing everything. It's what Steph was, I think, mentioning earlier. Um, I think when I was early in my career, I was like this extremely ambitious person that was like also not staying in the confines of everything and was just doing everything. I was doing everyone's job. I was doing everything. I was like helping run crit and like, I don't know, open some VR lab somewhere and like just do everything. And that can very quickly lead to burnout and you won't you know, it's not, it's sure it's benefiting the company a lot, but it's not really benefiting your own career or maybe even the product that much. Um, And so ruthlessly prioritizing and learning the art of that. And honestly, that's something I'm still learning, right? Like um, building that art uh, of figuring out what is important to the company, but also what's important for your career and what makes sense in a given moment. And over the course of a year, being patient and understanding um, sort of how that all comes together is something that I wish I had learned earlier, uh, and something that I'm still learning. I would say.
3: Every layer of fidelity that you increase your design from napkin sketch to wireframe to lo-fi to hi-fi to prototype to staging to prod every layer of fidelity is, um, like a punch in the face that, uh, you had the wrong assumptions or the thing wasn't quite the right solution. And so I think one of the things I wish I'd gotten better at sooner, and I think it goes back to like getting more reps is getting to the final stage of fidelity a lot sooner. I think there's a lot of time spent fiddling around in Figma and building click-through prototypes. And I think those things are useful, but, quite quickly fall apart when they encounter reality. Um, I saw a good tweet today that was like, your front end is only as fast as your back end." And if you have an incredible prototype where you're tapping things and it's a click through Figma and like everything is instant and everything slides up and there's no loading states, like it's perfect. Then it's such a compelling prototype. You're like, yes, we should build that. And then you go and get an engineering team to spend months working on it. And it turns out it's slow and janky and crappy. So the the trick is like, how do you realize that? How do you discover those problems sooner? And I think the answer is like figuring out how to skip layers of fidelity or like move through them even faster than feels comfortable. Um, I always like to say, uh, you know, when you're having debates with teammates, about what's, what's the right thing to do? Do users actually want this? Like we have to move out of opinion land into data land. And it's like, only way to get data from customers is to show a real thing to customers and i don't think that showing a customer a figma file is is uh valid here i think showing them like an actual thing that they use with their data that uh impacts their life is is real so yeah i guess that'd be my answer is like how do you how do you traverse through those layers of fidelity faster than is comfortable
1: yeah for me uh you know plus one to a lot of things that were just said but i think a big one is just simple leadership Um, I find that when I do the portfolio course or I um, am just mentoring younger designers or even very senior designers, they present like every explanation, every detail of why things are important. And they list out so many things. And I think brevity and extremely simple communication work really well. And also, again, back to this idea of being a conduit for other people's feedback and ideas. The more accessible you make your work and the friendlier uh, you make it and easier to read for others to kind of chime in and jump into the work, often that makes it easier for others to participate and understand what's going on, Um, and so it's going to make you more effective and more people able to Um, you know, help rise your star by giving you the right kinds of feedback to, to build up. So I think that's something I I really espouse is just being, making your work so accessible just by being really simple, brief, and trying to get to the core ideas.
0: I love it. You nailed the brief part there. Thank you. Thanks everyone.